Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. It's Greg Lindbergh here, very excited to reach the double-digit mark here on the podcast. So here on episode 10, we are going to have part one for you of a two-part conversation we had with Michelle Jorgensen. And Michelle is a mixed martial arts competitor from Canada and definitely someone you don't want to mess with. She's uh, quite the athlete and uh, very accomplished already in just a short time that she's been involved in MMA. All right, so joining me now here on episode 10, we have Michelle Jorgensen. Michelle, welcome. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I, uh, I think it'll be great. I think it's uh, there's a lot of potential for visually impaired people in martial arts if they know that it, it's there for them. No question, yeah. All right, I did want to mention that, uh, Michelle, you are from uh, Kelowna, uh British Columbia, Canada, north of the border here. So if you could just kind of give a little chronological, you know, background as far as where you were born, where you grew up, all that good stuff. Columbia, like very, not even on the map, kind of small. <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up in a northern community, kind of camping, fishing, that kind of lifestyle, you know. And I spent the first 15 years of my life there. Once I turned 15, I moved to the eastern side of the country, out to Ontario with my dad, and uh, traveled around that province, finished high school kind of in that area. And, and stayed there for a couple years after high school because, you know, I was 18, was ruling the world and knew everything because I had a boyfriend and a minimum wage job. So, <laughs> you know, life was perfect and yep. we were partying and it was great. And then I kind of realized at around 21 that that wasn't the direction I wanted to be going. I wanted to do something more substantial with my life and uh, at that point I moved back to British Columbia. I came here to Kelowna and started going to university. Nice. Very cool. <clears throat> I'm curious about your eye condition. Is that something you've had since birth or did that develop later on? Or uh, No, I've had it since birth. Um, it actually, they, they've changed it recently. Most of my life when I was growing up, they called it PHPV, um, was persistent hyperplastic vasculature, I think. And then about four years ago, I was seeing a, an eye doctor, and he told me, no, now we actually call it PFC. It's persistent fetal uh, vasculature. <laughs> Some big words that I have trouble with. Yeah. But, uh, basically, it's, um, it's the, the blood vessels in my eyes are all tilted forward, so the light doesn't get through properly. Um, they initially thought it was a fiber buildup, and that's, Four years ago, I, I found out that, no, it's actually the blood vessels are tilted forward. Um, so I asked them, you know, is, is there anything you can do? Because the, the problem being in the back of my eye, glasses, contact lenses, they're just not an option. So they said, well, we can, uh, we can do a strabismus surgery and straighten out your eyes. It'll be cosmetic. They said, there's, there's nothing we can do for your vision. There is one very experimental surgery with lasers where we could go in and straighten each uh, each blood vessel one by one, but because they're so small, the likelihood of us slipping and making a mistake is extremely high, and if that happens, your eyes will hemorrhage and have to be removed and replaced with glass eyes. And I just went, okay, <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally blind out of my left eye as is, 
was like, maybe we could experiment with that one because it can't get worse. But uh, why well, put myself through surgery? And even even out of my right eye, I've got 2200 vision. So I'm, I'm still very nearsighted out of that eye. I'm classified as legally blind. And uh, currently nothing they can do. <laughs> right. Wow. And uh, as far as your vision, has it pretty much been the same than your whole life? Or? Pretty much, yeah. Um, they, I mean, as far as the doctors say, they say I was blind when I was a baby, and they believe I started getting some vision around two or three years old, but uh, it seems to have kind of stabilized when I was about six, and it's just where it's at. Um, I'm still getting checked for glaucoma every year, and... Uh, recently found out I have cataracts in my left eye, which I was like, well, I can't see anyway, but that really doesn't feel like something that I should have in my 20s. <laughs> exactly. But what do you do? Yeah, no <laughs> question. Yep. Alrighty, so then as far as uh, your college education, talk to me about where you went to school and your major. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know if it was a double major or whatnot, but I thought it was pretty cool. It, uh, it was a major minor, so I went to the University of British Columbia, went to the Okanagan campus here in, in Kelowna, but it's it's one of our better universities up here. It's, it's a pretty good school with a very good reputation. I majored in psychology with a focus on forensics, um, mostly dealing with psychopathy, deception detection, um, violent offenders, sexual offenders, and I did a minor... I actually just picked up the minor just because um, I was looking at, I, I did a minor in, in medical anthropology and uh, I was looking at my courses and they said, well, you need X number of courses at this level and X number at that level and has to be in this area or that area and all their little specifics. And I was looking at it and I said, well, I have to pay the same amount regardless of what courses I take. So do I want to take a bunch of random stuff and have a major in psychology? Or, you know, just where my interests were lying was, was the anthropology courses. I've always been very interested in uh, other cultures and how, how things are done around the world and, and why they're done the way that they're done. Um, so I looked at it and so said, if I take one more anthropology course, I have a minor. I mean, I may as well do it. Then I get credit on my, on my degree for both, you know. So uh, right. that's, that's what they did. Wow, very cool. So I kind of think of like CSI, some of these, you know, crime scene type shows with all that. Is that kind of what you studied along those lines? Or? Uh, kind of, yeah. Like the anthropology stuff, not so much. I was, I was kind of studying medicine uh, across different cultures and cross-cultural psychiatry and stuff like that. But as far as the uh, psychology went, yeah, I was working... Um, I, well, I was studying under uh, Dr. Michael Woodworth, who is uh, a very well-known forensic psychologist, um, and Dr. Jan Seal, who was, and he was one of, still, he will always be one of my favorite professors. The guy was about 72 years old and just would come into class loud and swearing and cracking jokes, and we just had a great banter going back and forth in every lecture that I took with him, and I took as many as I could with him, so wow. it was great. That's neat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like we all have those teachers or professors that just really stood out to us, you know, just because of their personality and how they approach the class. So that's yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> and then as far as your career, I understand that you currently work for the government, correct? Yes, I do. Um, I, I actually had taken a summer position with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind 
and I had done very well there, made some friends, really enjoyed myself, and uh, stayed on as a volunteer for my last year of school. And uh, after I graduated, actually, I had just accepted a job at a women's shelter, uh, dealing with, like, working graveyards, uh, dealing with women who were in very, very uh, volatile situations, like fleeing abuse, uh, you know, some, some were substance users, just all kinds of horrific things that they were going through. And uh, my boss from the, the Institute for the Blind got in touch with me and she said, look, I, I know you just accepted this job and, and like, I'm really sorry. She's like, but this amazing, you need to apply on this. There's this awesome opportunity. And it was uh, called the Work Able Internship. And it, it was a, a one-year internship with the government for specifically for people with disabilities. And I mean, you need to have, you know, some kind of post-secondary education. You need to go through the interview process and, and be qualified and all of that. But she's like, I, I know you're qualified. Like, you, you've got to take it. I know you've got a job, but you've got to take advantage of this. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went through the application process. Um, I've been working with the provincial government, with the Ministry of Labor, um, Basically, just making sure people get paid, you know, is, is the most, mostly what we do, or if they're, right. if they're owed money that they get paid. And yeah, my, my one year is almost up, and I am uh, working my way into corporate operations, in, in a, into a permanent position in the corporate operations. Very cool. Nice. All right, let's uh, talk a little sports here. So I know you mentioned to me that it's just within the last few years that you've kind of gotten into martial arts. And I'm curious, you know, growing up, did you play any other sports? Did you, you know, or was that a very recent interest more so? Um, it's a little bit of both. I, I tried to get into sports when I was younger, but uh, being in a, in a small town the, that I grew up in, it, it's kind of a redneck mentality of like, <laughs> well... You can't see, so we can't teach you. And I mean, I, I got this everything from t-ball to swimming lessons to piano. Like, you name it, I, I wanted to get into it, and I kept getting told, uh, nope, you know, you're, you're blind, I've never had a blind student. Nope, not happening. So I pretty much gave up on sports, even though I had always loved them. But then it was right around the end of my second year of university in, in 2017, I was working, uh, I was doing some volunteer work with the Elizabeth Fry Society, which is a group up here that uh, works, works sort of like victim services for domestic abuse and uh, sexual abuse. I was working with them, and I was also working with the uh, sexual health, similar to victim service kind of work on, on campus. And I saw this ad on Facebook for a self-defense class, and I went, this would be great for like not only for me because you know being visually impaired I've got a history in the small town of people trying to pick on me and beat me up in school and didn't exactly make make the best dating choices right out of school so I went well I need some self-defense but uh for some of the the co-workers and clients this could be an amazing opportunity as well so I shared the self-defense information with them and I said hey like I I think we should try this I think we should check this out and uh the day of the class I woke up I was tired I wasn't feeling it I went oh I, I don't want to go like I haven't even tried to find this place I gotta try and find it <laughs> and I went you gotta get up and go like you just invited how many people to go to this and then if you don't show up exactly you know, like, gotta go. <laughs> right and, uh, I, I got up I went there and uh I was the only one to show up no one else, like, no one, there was 
one or two other women that showed up to the to the self defense class. No one that I had invited showed up. Oh jeez. What the heck, you know? So, but I, I was already there, and and uh, the guy running the class was very friendly, and so I was like, well, like I'm I'm here, I may as well do it now. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, I, I just need you, uh, I need you to sign this waiver, and you know, because we're doing martial arts in case you get injured or anything. And I'm like, okay, you know, history kicking in. I went, oh no, because I'm gonna have to hold this thing closed to read it, and if he sees that, I'm probably gonna get kicked out of here. He's not gonna want me here because. You know, can't play t-ball, can't can't do swimming. So just that history coming back, I went. He's not even gonna want to teach me. So I, I'm kind of watching him as best I could, and I waited for him to turn his back, and I quickly like tried scribbling my name down on it real quick, and then I feel a hand on my shoulder, and I went, oh, he's going. And he goes, so I noticed you have some vision problems. So I was like, yeah. And he says, well, let me know what I can do to help. I I'm happy to teach anybody if you're if you're here and you want to learn. I want to help you. So if there's any I can do let me know I was like, wow it was great but uh, I did a little bit of self-defense that day and then he said well you know we have we have an intro month that's 60 bucks but because you did the self-defense class today we'll give it to you half price it's unlimited classes and you know 30 bucks for a month I went holy like a dollar a day like this is cheaper than you know, I, I spend more than that on coffee. Right. So I said, yeah, like, I'll, I'll do it for sure. You know, 30 bucks, unlimited classes. Well, it uh, it took me four days, I think. And and after four days, I was going to multiple classes a day. Um, I had been a smoker for 10 years. I had quit smoking because I was just like, I, I can't do both of these things. Like, financially, I'm a student. I can't right. afford both. And physically, like, my chest hurts when I'm running. So within four days, yeah, I had, I had quit a 10-year smoking habit. I was going to, like, three or four classes a day of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai kickboxing, and I, I just fell in love with it over the summer. Um, so when I started my third year of university, I saw, it, I saw the, you know, September's coming up. I got to apply for my courses. So I actually checked that gym's uh, training schedule, and I only booked university courses that didn't conflict with the martial arts classes, so that I could go to every <laughs> class every day, and I was just running back and forth, like, on buses from the university, down to do some kickboxing, back up for another lecture at the university, back down to do some jujitsu. <laughs> just like my life for two years. So it sounds like you really were sold, just literally, like you said, within a few days, you knew like, yes, this is for me, this is, I love this, I'm passionate about this, this is what I want to do. Oh yeah, well in the community, was it, the, the people there were so friendly, so warm and welcoming, and it's just something I hadn't experienced before, where like, I wanted to do something as simple as playing piano, and they said, no, I can't teach you, you can't see, so I can't teach you. And then here are these people like, oh, yeah, you want to learn how to fight? We can teach you. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> such a strong difference. <laughs> yeah, so refreshing. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Let's uh, go through just, you know, some of the specific, you know, types of martial arts that you've, uh, you know, participated in. I know you mentioned Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you could just explain how that actually works. Yeah, um, so I've, I've started at a local club doing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was the first thing that I really fell in love with. So that's uh, grappling martial arts. It's similar to, it's sort of like a mashup of um, wrestling and judo. 
So there's you can throw people like they do in judo. You can go for the legs to take them down like they do in wrestling. And um, there is a variety of attacks like uh, chokes and um, joint locks. So joint locks are, are submissions where you basically attack like say the shoulder, the elbow, the wrist, the knee, the ankle, any joint like that. And you're basically twisting it into a uncomfortable position where if you're doing it slow, you know, in like in training or in a competition, the person will tap out and say, okay, that hurts. I've had enough stop. If it were a self-defense situation, you can quite quickly and easily break, uh, break a limb or tear soft tissue so that that person's probably going to need surgery and definitely not going to be chasing you after that so that was that was the first thing that I started I also did Muay Thai kickboxing um so it's very similar like it's like regular kickboxing there's uh you know punching and kicking obviously um but it's also got the addition of they they call it the clinch so you will put both hands on the like cupping the back of a person's head and your arms pinching around each side of either side of their neck and pull them in so that you can throw knees. Um, and there's also elbow strikes as well. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And as that's, far as, um, that's where I started. Sure. As far as say adaptations for, you know, martial arts in general, you know, specifically the ones that you've done, are there any specific things that you, that you do as a blind or, you know, legally blind, a competitor to you know just as far as to help you to you know just in terms of your approach um well it definitely depends on the art and the training location so when i first started training i, I was training at a really recreational club and, and a smaller group of people so it was easy to kind of you know look and say hey i'm gonna pick someone who, you know, I, I train with every day, this person knows I don't see well, and and they know how to how to train safely with me, rather than, say, the new guy who just walked in and has, like, zero martial arts experience. I, I don't want to get hurt by this person, and especially trying to explain, I can't see well, you know, so then, like, they're just blasting kicks or punches at me, or they're not holding the pads properly for me, and then they're getting hit, you know, something like that. Um, so in, in, in a recreational situation, I think it's very important to pick the right train, like pick consistent training partners if you can, um, just because there is such a high rotation of people just looking for fitness or socialization or something like there's there's a high turnover rate, basically. The club I'm at now, I'm, I'm training at uh, Toshido MMA, and they're, they're a competition team. So the people that I train with now are like very high level um, when they're high level competitors, they're very skilled fighters and they're, they're taught like um, they're taught stuff that you're just not taught in a recreational club. Like we'll, we'll do jujitsu like grappling, even though there's no striking, they say, okay, like if you're looking to do a sport, there's no striking in the sport, but just be aware, like this is not a smart move in self-defense. You, will get punched in the face. You know? right. um, so in, in the in in the competition team context, I I train a little differently because um, sometimes we're wearing like for our jujitsu, sometimes we'll be wearing um, what would be con- considered a traditional martial arts outfit, a, a gi. So like the jacket and the pants and the belt that you see in a lot of movies. 
sometimes we're, we're wearing that, other times we're not. And those are the, the no-gi classes for jiu-jitsu. So you're grappling, but you don't have anything to grab onto. You know, whereas like the gi, I can, I can grab onto someone's collar or sleeve and I can maintain contact with that person. Um, in the no-gi classes, I, I can't do the same thing. I can grab their wrist, I can grab their head, but they're slippery. I see. um, Interesting. It's harder, and and especially in kickboxing, we're like, if I'm lucky enough to grab onto you and start throwing knees, well, especially training with a a competitor and a teammate who is most likely, I mean, nine times out of ten, significantly more advanced and better than me, I can grab on you and start throwing knees, but they, and, and not in a malicious way, just in a helping me learn way. They make it clear very quick, like, you can get hit here. You know, you need to throw your shot and get out. Um, so I'm not able to maintain the contact in a striking context. Um, in, in MMA, I'm a little bit, it's a little bit easier, too, because we combine the jiu-jitsu and the striking, right? So I can climb on top of somebody, and now I'm on top of you. I know where you are, and I can hit you. But the role can also be reversed. They're on top of me, hitting me, and I need to figure out how to get out. So a lot of... A lot of times I, I do try to train with more experienced partners um, for, for my sport training. So people that have been training as long or longer than I have, people that are the same or higher skill level than me, it, it is for my safety and it is for my, my competition training. It's significantly easier at, with a competition team um, because they're, they're more serious, they're more dedicated, you don't have the high number of really new, really inexperienced people. And and uh, the same goes for my striking. I try to go with more experienced partners just so that I know that this is someone, like especially striking with my vision, I, I want to feel safe. You know, when I'm holding the pads for you, you're not going to miss and full out punch me in the nose and break my nose, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when I'm striking, I, I want someone who knows because I, I've been doing it for three years now and, and I'm far from an expert but I've got good power so if I'm with a newer person who doesn't know how to hold the pad well chances are when I kick or punch you know they're gonna move they're gonna get scared and uh, I'm gonna end up hitting them instead of hitting the pads so I need to trust that my training partner is holding the pads where they're supposed to be you know because I, I am not necessarily gonna see like if they're moving them out of you know or or if they're moving out of fear kind of thing which is like a common response i moved out of fear in the beginning too you know now i now not so much so that's that's my main thing is going with more experienced partners but i also try to uh listen to where people are so even in striking i can hear where you're stepping on the mat and and i try to follow that that um sound of their feet and go okay well they're this far away so i'm not able to hit them or i am able to hit them Grappling, like a jujitsu, I, I can maintain contact with the person a little easier. So if, if I've got a hold of your arm, well, I know where the rest of your body is. Or if I'm laying on you, I know where your body is, you know, so um, that's a little easier to tell. Gotcha. Very interesting. And it sounds like, you know, just the, the tactile aspects of, like you mentioned, you know, touching someone's, you know, whatever kind of uniform or outfit that they're wearing for that particular sport is a big part of it. And like you said, using your hearing and, and other senses as well to, you know, to really perform well and, and to, you know, kind of get that advantage over the other person. For sure. It's, it's similar when I'm in judo and I actually, 
I got into judo about a year and a half ago. I, I met this I met this woman at a I was at a jujitsu seminar. So it's like a specialized class where we had a really uh, high level black belt. I forget who it was that now because it was it was a long time ago. But we had uh, an experienced grappler, and he was he was teaching us some specific moves in jujitsu. And I met this this woman who was just crazy high energy, like very happy, very friendly, very bubbly. And uh, she was a belt level above me in in jujitsu and a multi world champion. And, and just super excited, her name's uh, Kathy Hubble. So I, I knew her from jiu-jitsu, but I, I wasn't very familiar with judo, so I, I met her in person for the first time at this seminar, and she paired up with me because we were the only women at, at this seminar, and she says, hey, like, let's, I've seen you on Facebook, you know, if you want to be my training partner? And I was like, oh, sure. Dumb little me at the time. I was still quite, you know, quite new to to the art, not realizing this woman's like a multi-world champion and right. probably kill me with her pinky finger. You know, like, do you want to train with me? I'm like, no, okay. Like, not realizing, holy crap, this person wants to train with me? You know? Yeah. So, uh, we, we went to the seminar together and she says, you know, you should try judo. Like, you, I think you'd be really good at it. I said, oh, yeah, it's not sure it, if I have time, not sure if it's really my thing. She says, look, we have this fun class once a week on Sundays, like just, just come out on Sundays. I think it'll be really good for you. Well, at this point I was just getting into competition. Like I was just starting competitions. I had done maybe, maybe one at that point. And I went, yeah, you know, judo, they, they focus on, they, they throw people. So yeah, I mean, this could be a good way to get the takedown in my competition and not only get the points, but now get the advantage that I've taken you down. I'm on top of you you're at my mercy now, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's a better chance of me winning the competition, great, so I started going once a week to judo, and uh, very quickly, she was saying, you know, we should do a belt test, we should, like, promote you to the next belt level, I said, uh, okay, sure, and then it was shortly after that, hey, how about the next belt level, <laughs> well, really, like, I've only been here for a few months, yeah, 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 but your jiu-jitsu background, you know, your jiu-jitsu background really helps with your judo, I said, okay, you know, because they're, they're similar, you start on your feet, and um, judo is predominant, predominantly on the feet, trying to throw people, and jiu-jitsu is mostly on the ground, trying to submit them, but really, it's, they're, they're very similar martial arts, right, because they both have takedowns, they both have the, the chokes and the joint locks in them, it's just, judo focuses on standing up, and jiu-jitsu focuses on, like, on the ground. Right. Um, so, yeah, she says, oh, yeah, it's a, it's, an advan- it's a big advantage. Like, you know, we'll give you the next belt level. I said, okay, sure. Did the test. I got, uh, got a second promotion up to orange belt in judo. And she says, you know, this is great. But if you really want to get good, you've got to start coming out more. <laughs> I'm looking back now going, you sneaky, like, you just snuck me into judo without me even realizing it. So, yeah, come September, I was, uh, I was a member of... Uh, of the judo club as well. Um, I, I transferred over to Toshido MMA shortly after joining the, the judo club, actually, because I went, well, I'm competing all the time now. I need a competition team, you know, and right. they have women for me to train with, which is like uh, a female body is a realistic training partner for me if I'm going into compete against women. You know, I can't always just fight 200-pound men. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> 
I was, it was like September, everything just kind of went whirlwind. Um, September's when I started working with the Ministry of Labor. September's when I started really training in judo. Um, so, so really, like, I've, I've only been training like two, three times a week in judo since this past September. Like, before wow. that, the, the whole year before that, I was going once a week, you know? Um, yeah, and it was, it was shortly after that that I went into Toshido MMA and got into the competition team and, and just really started rolling in the rolling in the competitions. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So this wraps up part one of our conversation with Michelle Jorgensen. Be sure to catch episode 11 of the podcast to hear the rest of the conversation. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com. 